Well, can I thank God's servant so much once again for his very kind and gracious words of welcome. So joy to be back with you. And we're sad that we've only one night left after tonight with you in Carrydoff. We thoroughly enjoyed your fellowship and we thank you so much for uh, bearing with us over the last couple of weeks and it's gone by so quickly and we've really enjoyed every, every night and uh, every meeting and we thank God for those who have come to sing and we thank Mrs. Steele tonight especially for ministering the Word of God in song. If you have a copy of the Bible there, we're going to turn please to the first book of the Bible, that's the book of Genesis and we're in chapter 6 this evening, the 6th chapter of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and we're going to read from the very first verse of that sixth chapter. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1. Now, over the last number of nights, we've thought about a lot of different subjects, some of the great conversions in Scripture, men and women whose lives the Lord touched. We've thought about some of the great invitations in the Word of God, we have considered the realities that concern eternity. We have thought about the cross. We have considered the greatness of God's love. So many wonderful subjects that we have looked at. And tonight it's a very solemn subject. I want to speak for a little while about that time perhaps whenever the voice of God falls silent and the Spirit of God no longer strives with an individual. It's a very solemn thought, but let's read together from Genesis 6 and the first verse, and we'll read the first nine verses, verses 1 through 9 of Genesis 6. <clears throat> and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. For that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man, beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. We'll just end there at verse 9, this reading of the precious and inspired Word of God. It's verse number 3, the first part of the verse that I want to leave with you for a little while this evening. And I want you to think about these words very carefully. The Bible says that the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Let's pray together and ask God to really 
speak to hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank Thee tonight for the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But Lord, we're also very thankful for the person and work and ministry of the Holy Spirit Himself. And we pray tonight, O Father, that the Spirit of God will fill this sanctuary. Make the presence and the speaking voice of God real in every heart and in every life. We thank Thee for a sense of Thy presence with us in nights gone by. We do not take that for granted. We thank Thee for the ministry in song, night after night and again this evening. And Lord, once again we rejoice that we can open the Word of God. But Lord, we acknowledge our weakness, our inability, our unworthiness to touch or to handle or to minister this word. Our sufficiency, therefore, is of thyself. Hide new God behind the cross. Grant the infilling of the Spirit of God. Uplift our Lord Jesus Christ. And grant, O God, that every individual within these walls and many others, Lord, that are watching online might be very conscious of the Spirit of God striving, moving, and drawing their hearts to the Savior. And we pray, O God, that none would harden their hearts against the call of God. Lord, these things are so critical and so vital and so important to us, but most of all for thy glory. So, Lord, hear and answer prayer. And grant, Lord, that souls might be brought to the cross. We ask it with thanksgiving in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. These verses that we have read together and the verses immediately following after speak about the generations of Noah, the days that Noah lived in. The Bible says that Noah was a just man. He was perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And he walked with God in the midst of a generation that had greatly departed from God. The Bible reminds us from the lips of our Savior as he preached before going to the cross on the Mount of Olives, the great Olivet Discourse, Matthew's Gospel 24 and verse 37, that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So we know that in the last days, society will mirror or replicate society during the days of of Noah, and it was a wicked day and a wicked generation. Verse 5 says that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. So God saw the world in Noah's day in a general sense, but he also saw the hearts of men in a very personal and specific sense. It says that he saw that the imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. God knows our hearts. Nothing is hid from him. Hagar, a lady in the word of God, said that, Lord, thou my God seest me. Lord, you see me, and you know me, and you know exactly what I am, and you know where I'm coming from, and where I'm going, and you know where I am presently. God sees, and God knows all things. And God knows our doubts, and our fears, and our uncertainties, our dreams, and our aspirations, but friends, tonight he also knows all about our sins and our failure and our shortcoming even before him. And one of the remarkable things is if you're a scholar tonight and you enjoy studying the Word of God, 
In the last five verses of 1 Peter chapter 3, the Word of God seems to indicate there that the Lord Jesus Christ, by the person and power of the Holy Spirit, through Noah, preached to the people living in Noah's day and generation. And I'm persuaded tonight that God is still in the business of speaking by His Word through the Spirit to the hearts of individuals living in our day and generation. God tonight is a living God, and God is a speaking God, and God often speaks in love and in mercy and in tenderness. And the Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 3 that the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And God served a similar warning in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3 to Noah's generation when he said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. And that's a very, very solemn truth because you can never be converted. You can never be saved. You can never be drawn to Christ. You can never exercise faith. You can never repent of your sins unless the Holy Spirit enables you to do that. You can be lost forever this side of eternity because if the Spirit of God stops striving in your heart, you will have no real genuine concern about your soul, no real conviction of sin and no real constraint to get to Christ and to get to the cross. I believe it's possible for an individual to hear the voice of God in their inner man, that still small voice, many, many times, graciously and tenderly calling. But I also believe it is possible for an individual to hear the Spirit of God speaking to them for the last time. And the Lord leaves you alone and leaves you to yourself, and leaves you to your sin. I'm not speaking tonight about an audible voice, but I'm speaking about the voice of the Spirit of God, applying the truth of God's Word to your mind, and to your conscience, and to your heart. And you know that you need to get saved, and you're under conviction of sin, and you might even have a desire to get saved, but you harden your heart, and God warns us that His Spirit shall not always strive with man. In order for sin to be cleansed and forgiven and pardoned, and for the soul's salvation to be secured, an individual must come to Jesus Christ. And in John 6, the Lord said Himself, that no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And it's the work of the Spirit of God to draw people to the cross and to bring them to Christ. And there's four simple things that I want to say to you tonight about this text of Scripture where God says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Four simple things that I want you to notice and I also want you to take to heart because this tonight could be your meeting with God, your time to get saved and your time to get right with the Lord. First of all, our text tonight states a distinct work. This verse of Scripture states a distinct work. God says, my Spirit, the Holy Spirit, strives 
with men. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to strive in the hearts of individuals. There are certain works that are unique and distinct to the person of the Holy Spirit. I cannot do them. There's no preacher that can do them. They are unique and distinct to the Spirit of God Himself. For example, it is the Spirit of God alone that is able to convict of sin. The Spirit of God alone is able to convict of sin. This word that is translated strive in this verse, it literally means to wrestle with. It means to contend with, or it means to plead with. And without being convinced and convicted of your sin and your life without God, you will never have a true desire to come to Jesus Christ until you understand what sin is and who you've sinned against and what sin is doing in your life, taking you away from God. And it's the Spirit of God's work to strive and to convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. And I know tonight, whenever the Spirit of God is striving in your heart, it can be a very difficult thing because the natural response is to kick against that and to try to shrug it off and to try to ignore it and to try to shut out that voice of the Spirit of God pricking your conscience. Saul of Tarsus was a very religious man. And one day he set out to persecute the church of Jesus Christ. And as he was doing that, making his way in the, the road to Damascus, all of a sudden, the Son of God, the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, spoke to him from heaven and brought him to his knees and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You see, Saul's conscience was not clear. But Saul was kicking against the pricks and as the Spirit of God was probing and pricking and prompting his conscience, all the while Saul foolishly was kicking against that and hardening his neck. And that's the Spirit of God's work to bring a sense of conviction into your soul tonight. Jesus Christ said, when he has come, he shall convict the world of sin. And I wonder tonight, can I ask you, and only you can answer it, only you before God can answer this question. Is there any sense of conviction tonight of your sin? Is there any sense of conviction tonight in your heart that you need to get right with God and you need to get to the cross? Only the Spirit of God is able to convict of sin. And furthermore, only the Spirit of God is able to effectually call the sinner to come to Christ. Now, I believe tonight it's the role of the church of Jesus Christ to preach the gospel. I believe it's the prerogative of every believer to call men and women to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in Revelation 22, we read, the Spirit and the bride say, come. And the bride represents the church. And it's the work of the church of Jesus Christ to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. But only the Spirit of God is able to reach the heart. I might be able to reach your ears tonight and you can hear what I'm saying. And you might be able to think about it and understand it. 
but only the Holy Spirit is able to reach the heart and prompt that individual and give them something of a concern and a desire to come to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, Lord alone, can turn the heart from sin. His power alone can sanctify and make us pure within. And then furthermore, it is the work of the Holy Spirit not just to convict, not just to call, but it is also the work of the Holy Spirit to convert a sinner to Jesus Christ, to give them faith and to enable them to repent of their sins. Whenever Paul was writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, he reminded them of some of the sins that they had been saved from. All manner of sin had been forgiven. And he reminds them that they had been converted and justified and brought to Christ. How? By the Spirit of the living God. And then only the Spirit of God can really bring the comfort that you need into your heart and life tonight. Before the Son of God went to Calvary to die for our sins upon that cruel cross, he said, I will send you another comforter, even the Spirit of God, even the Holy Ghost, and he shall abide with you forever. And we are living in a society in this generation where many people know nothing of the comfort of the Spirit of God. Life is hard, it's difficult. Even for believers, life in this earth and this world is difficult. But I'm so thankful tonight for the person of the Spirit of God who is able to bring all of the comfort of the gospel and all of the comfort of Jesus Christ into my heart and into my life. Whatever a Christian faces, they're able to call upon the Lord and pray that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will help them and draw alongside them. And for all eternity, the child of God will know the comfort of God's wonderful salvation. Do you remember the night we spoke about Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16? And whenever Lazarus left this scene of time and went up into heaven, into glory, old Abraham said, now he is comforted. What a wonderful prospect the Christian has. And tonight you can enjoy, if you come to Christ, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to walk and travel through this world on your own. You'll have one that resides within you who is able to comfort you in all of life's battles and in all of life's trials. And then the Holy Spirit also performs the great work of being our counselor. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said in John 16, 13, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth and he shall testify of me. It is so easy to fall into error with so many voices in this generation that call for our attention, so many ideologies, so many religions, so many different groups, so many different political ideas, so many different schools of thought, so much thinking and talk about the Bible and about Jesus Christ and who He is. Much of it is false and a lot of it's true and it's very difficult sometimes for us to know the right way ahead. But the Spirit of God is able to lead you. The Spirit of God is able to guide you and direct you. You know, whenever you've got no guidance in life, you know what that means? It means that you're lost. But whenever the Son of God comes into your life, 
The Spirit of God guides you and directs you. So the Spirit of God tonight does all of these wonderful, wonderful things. But before you ever come to Christ, there's this work of striving in your heart. I wonder, has that been happening in your life over the last couple of weeks? Maybe over the last number of months or even over the last few years and maybe even tonight in this very meeting, you're conscious of something tugging at your heart, something troubling you and prompting you to come to the cross, that I believe tonight is the work of the Holy Spirit. This text tonight states a distinct work, but our text tonight also serves a divine warning. My spirit shall not always strive with man. Yes, my spirit strives with individuals, Yes, my spirit is in the world working and moving in hearts and lives, but the Lord says here that a spirit will not always strive with man. There will be those who will experience that and that they will harden their hearts and God will leave them to themselves. You know, the Word of God warns us many, many times in many different ways about sins that we can commit against the person of God the Holy Spirit. For example, it says in Isaiah 63 verse 10 that you can vex the Holy Spirit. You can cause the Spirit of God to hurt, to be grieved, to suffer pain, even to be angry. You can vex the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12 31 says you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And that indicates that the Holy Spirit is a person within the Godhead. You can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. What an awful sin. Acts chapter 5 and verse 3 says you, you can lie against the Holy Spirit. Acts 7.51 says that you can resist the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says that you can grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 says that you can quench the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10, 29 says that you can do despite to the Holy Spirit. And furthermore, the Bible speaks in 1 John 5, 16 about a sin that is unto death. I believe it's the sin against the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 4, 2 says that you can sear your conscience. Proverbs 29, 1 says that you can harden your neck against the voice of God. Acts 9, 5 says you can kick against the pricks. Ephesians 4, 19 says you can become past feeling. Hosea chapter 4, 17 says that you can be left alone, left to yourself. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 4 says that you can taste of the Holy Spirit and be made a partaker of the Holy Spirit and yet fall away and turn away and reject the Holy Spirit and never be renewed again unto repentance. If the Spirit of God stops striving in your life, you can no longer be convicted. You can no longer be called. You can no longer be converted. You can no longer be comforted, but simply left to yourself to live and die, maybe without even a thought about it, in your heart and soul without Jesus Christ. And then face the awful consequences in eternity. 
You know, I fear that in this life of mine, I have seen people under conviction of sin and gospel missions and gospel meetings, even to the point of sitting in the meeting, sitting in the pew with tears rolling down their cheeks, thinking about their soul and about Christ and what He did on the cross and their need for Him. And they have said things, I need to get right with God, but not just now. I'm troubled, I'm concerned, will you pray for me? And somehow they seem to get away from the things of God and become like an Adam and stone. About 14 years ago or 13 years ago, I remember doing a, a tent mission away down in, in Ballygolly, just off the Ballygolly roundabout in the field round the corners, you head off towards a county Fermanagh. And it was two weeks of wall-to-wall sunshine. And the tent was situated, a large tent just in a field. And at the back of the field, there was a, a hill that went up towards a hedgerow. And there was a man that came out to the meetings every single night for two weeks without fail. He was there. And towards the end of the first week, he said to me one night, I need to speak to you about getting saved, about getting right with God. And I says, well, I'd be delighted to take time and talk to you. And he says, but not just tonight. I'll come back tomorrow night. And I says, well, listen, it's, it's up to you, but I would encourage you if your Spirit of God speaking, come tonight. And he says, I'll come back tomorrow. And he came back the next night and he said something similar. And then the next night and then on into the second week. And virtually every single night after the meeting, troubled, concerned. And then on the Sunday afternoon, the very last meeting, he went out and he said nothing. But I watched him and he walked up to a, a car that was parked right at the top of that hill. And he sat in the car and everybody left the field apart from the people that were just uh, closing up the tent. And he was leaving. And I went up and I spoke to him and he had the window rolled down and he poured out his heart under conviction of sin, troubled about his soul. And he, he said, you know, I'd need to speak to you. And I says, well, I'm here to speak to you now. And he says, but I'll, I'll maybe come and see you. Where do you live? And I says, well, I'm from Coleraine at that time. He says, I'll come up someday to see you in Coleraine and speak to you about getting right with God. And I says, listen, it's highly unlikely that you're going to do that. It's a long way from here to Coleraine. And you've been coming out almost every night to these meetings and almost every night you've said the same thing and now the mission's over and you're still troubled, you're still concerned. He says, I'll come and see you in Coleraine. And I couldn't press him and I wouldn't press somebody to make a decision that they're not willing to make themselves. It's not my prerogative. I saw that man once since that gospel mission away down right in the very center of Ireland at a plowing championship match about a year later. And I don't know if you know much about the international plowing matches, but through the turnstiles every day, tens of thousands of people come through. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of trade stalls, dozens of different type of agricultural exhibitions, and thousands of people are walking and milling about. I was there on the first day for about five minutes giving out calendars and gospel tracts in a little bag. And as I stood at one corner, two men walked past. And then one of them came back and says, could you give me one of those bags? He had seen the gospel text in the side. And I says, of course, you're more than welcome. Do you want one for your friend? And he says, well, take one over. And I looked over at his friend who was standing about 20 feet away and wouldn't lift his head. And wasn't it the same man who attended those meetings in Ballygolly? And friend, he wouldn't even look me in the eye. 
He had no desire to receive even a gospel tract. And whenever things like that happen, and they seem to happen now so often because people's hearts are so hard, it causes me to tremble. And I just wonder sometimes, did the Spirit of God strive and strive and strive, and then the Spirit of God now has stopped striving and the voice of God has fallen silent? What a tragedy for you to come to meetings like this and to realize that God loves you. Sent the Son to die on a cross. And God stretches out His hands, as He says in the book of Romans, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and again saying people. Or as the Lord said to the city of Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that killest the prophets and stonest those that are sent unto you, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, but ye would not. Or as he said to the Pharisees, ye will not come to me that ye might have life. God says, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye, for why will ye die? Or as it says there in the New Testament and Peter's epistle, God says that he is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Our text tonight states a distinct work. It serves a divine warning. Very quickly, it also, I believe, specifies a defined window. Look at the text in its fullness. God said, the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. And God was saying in Noah's generation, one hundred and twenty years, and then there's going to be a great deluge, and judgment is going to come, and God specified a defined window of opportunity in Noah's day. And I believe that God in heaven has specified a divine window of opportunity perhaps in your life. And none of us know how long or how short that is. But I believe in a gospel mission like this, whenever there's a special emphasis on prayer, a special effort to give out gospel literature, a special effort to invite people in, a time of gospel outreach that certainly for some, this perhaps is your window of opportunity to get right with God and to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God might give you many, many more opportunities. I pray that he does. I pray that he will. But I trust even more than that that you won't need more opportunities after tonight, that you'll avail yourself of this opportunity and get right with God. You know, in our church in Coleraine, there was a man and his wife that came to the church for years since, they were, since he was just a little boy. And he was a lovely, lovely man, a very quiet man. And he came to church for the first couple of years of my ministry there. And then we had a tent mission. And I'll still remember the night that this man got converted. It was just a remarkable conversion. He had a bit of a checkered past that he was ashamed of. But he started coming out to these meetings. And he brought his wife and he brought his children with him and his grandchildren as well. And one night, one of the elders came and said, so-and-so is down in the hall. He wants to get saved. And I could hardly believe it. I remember going down and there was this little hall we had the prayer meetings and he was pacing up and down the front of that hall like a caged lion. He was so agitated and so unsettled. 
And he just turned around and he called me by name and says, listen, I just want to get saved. And I didn't have to explain the gospel or, 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 or say too much to him. Just shared a, a simple verse with him. And he got down on his knees and he called upon the Lord to save him. And I remember the next night going down to the tent early. I always like to be early for a meeting or a mission. And I got to the car park and there was his wee car sitting. And I thought, oh dear, he's having doubts or something's wrong. And I went over and says, are you okay, brother? What's wrong? And he says, is there a prayer meeting on here tonight? And I says, yes, there is. And he said to me, would it be okay if I came to it? I says, it would be brilliant if you came to it. And he was one of the first people to pray in that prayer meeting. The night after he got saved, just to say, Lord, I want to thank you for saving me. His brother, who was an office bearer in the church, was sitting in that prayer meeting. And it really melted his heart. And he said to me after, he says, I never in all my life envisaged that my brother would ever pray publicly in a prayer meeting. What a different salvation made in his life. But you know, he told me once, he said, you know, shortly before that mission, he was working as a gardener. He says, I was going into a field and I had my little van parked at the side of the road. I was lifting out some head trimmers and some tools and I had pushed the gate open and I turned around to lift the tools out of the back of the van and he just turned around and the gate just swung shut in its hinges and immediately he says, God spoke to me. God says, Mervyn, someday you're going to miss your opportunity. And he gave us testimony once in our church and he said, you know, I believe the night that I got saved was my last opportunity. And I didn't know, but God had been speaking to him for a long period of time. But he, he took the opportunity and he got into the kingdom of God and he's walking with God all of these years later, a wonderful, wonderful man of God. But the Bible specifies a distinct window of opportunity. Jeremiah 8.20, God says, the harvest is past, the summer's ended, and we are not saved. The five foolish virgins in Matthew 25, whenever they came back from the markets and they'd get oil in their lamps, and they came back to their, their dwelling, the door was shut and they were shut out. The scripture speaks about, about the, the city of Jerusalem, and the Lord says, I would have gathered you, but now these things are hidden from you. And there's a judicial blindness over that generation of Jewish people in that day. The Bible is full of such examples. Pharaoh hardened his heart and hardened his heart and hardened his heart against the call of God. And then the Word of God eventually says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God gave him over. God in a sense says, well, Pharaoh, if you're going to harden your heart, I'm going to step back and I'm going to let you do that. And Pharaoh hardened his heart for the last time. Judas sat at the Lord's Supper and the Lord warned him. And whenever Judas went out and came back into the Garden of Gethsemane to betray the Lord, do you remember the first things that the Lord said to Judas? Friend, wherefore art thou come? He still called him a friend. I think that's amazing. Jesus, the sinner's friend, the rich young ruler that came to the Lord and came running and the Lord said to him, take up your cross and follow me. And the Lord looking on him loved him, the Bible says, when he said those words. And the young man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions that he loved more than the Savior. But you know something, friends, the Lord let him go. Solemn thought. King Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. Pilate washed his hands 
and said, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. And he stepped back, having asked already the question, what shall I do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? Felix said, when I have a more convenient season, I will. I will call for you. I'll call for you some other time. Just like that poor man down at that tent mission. What I'm saying tonight, friend, is you can't get saved whenever you decide that you're going to get saved. It's only as the Spirit of God strives in your heart. There is a line unseen by man that crosses many a path, the hidden line that divides God's mercy and God's wrath. One last thing that I want you to consider, and we're almost finished. This text of Scripture tonight states a distinct work, striving with man. It serves a divine warning not always strive with man. It specifies a defined window. And then lastly, it also signals a desperate woe. What happens to a person whenever the Spirit of God stops striving with them? They're left to go their own way. Noah was a preacher of righteousness for many, many years. But how many people got onto the ark just Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives, only, as the wee children's chorus says, only eight were saved. The multitudes were lost. See, friends, the majority is not always right. My Lord said that broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many there be that find it. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that go in thereat. We thought in the very first night of this gospel mission about the man that prepared a great supper and with a heart of love and kindness and grace he invited so many people to come but many made excuses and at last he says they'll never taste of my supper. They received their last invitation and they miss it. And if God's speaking to your heart tonight, don't harden your heart against the call of God. God calls you in love. He calls you in mercy. He calls you in grace. He doesn't call you to make a fool of you. He doesn't call you to destroy or mar your life or ruin your life. He says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And here's a gift that he wants to give you. The gift of God is eternal life. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And maybe the Spirit of God tonight is prompting you, listen, come to the cross. Come to the Savior's feet. This God that so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, this Savior that shed his blood on Mount Calvary and shed his blood to redeem a people, to cleanse a people and to secure their salvation. He took your sins and he took our sorrows and he loves you tonight. And he invites you to come. God can forgive all manner of sin. Whatever it is that you've done. It's none of my business and I don't need and I certainly don't want to know. But what I do want to know is, is it well with your soul? I often relate the story of the conversion of the Reverend Duncan Campbell of the Faith Mission. As a young teenager, my brother was studying in university in Scotland and the wee lady that worked in the Christian bookshop in Lisburn knew this, and I was going to visit him, and she says, I've got a book that you'll enjoy reading. It's about Scotland, and it was the biography of Duncan Campbell. He was a great servant of Christ, and the title of the book was Channel of Revival. Duncan Campbell had a remarkable conversion experience. He was a very accomplished bagpipe player up outside the town of Oban 
in the lower highlands on the west coast of Scotland. The area is between Benderloch and Ard Chatham. And he was brought up in a crofting family. His mother and father were very religious people, but they weren't converted until a faith mission a mission came into their area and they were saved and they began to pray and witness to their son. And one night in the local village hall, he was playing the bagpipes and there was a highland fling going on all around him. He's up at the front playing an old Scottish tune, the Green Hills of Tyrol. No thought of God at all. But he testifies in his own unique way that as he was playing that tune, the Green Hills of Tyrol, all of a sudden his thoughts were taken to another green hill a green hill far away outside a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified who died to save us all. And he says that I could almost hear the dull thud as the Roman soldiers took a hammer and drove the nails through the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came under an awful weight of conviction of sin and he stood up and he put his bagpipes on the floor and he walked down through the dancers and he got to the door and the chairman of the dance hall says, Duncan, where are you going? He says, I'm going home. And unless I'm greatly mistaken, I'll never be back in a place like this again. He says, what's wrong with you? And he simply said, I'm troubled about my sin. I'm going home to seek God. Whenever he got to the end of the road, he was conscious of footsteps coming behind him and there was another young man, the same age as himself, that didn't live far away. They knew each other well. The other young man says, Duncan, where, where are you going? What's wrong? He says, I'm going home. I'm under conviction. I need to get saved. And the other young man said, well, I'm the same. He says, I'm under conviction. I felt something in there. I'm concerned. I'm troubled. But he says, Duncan, this is a very big decision. I don't know what you're going to do. Duncan says, I'm going home to get saved. He says, well, I'm going to go home, but I'm going to think about this. Duncan Ham Campbell made the walk home. It was about two or three miles. He passed his parish church. A light was on. He walked up to the door. He opened the doors and saw his father and two or three other men on their knees praying at the front of the church for the young people in the area. He walked home, and by this time, it was after midnight, and there was a light on in the kitchen, something that wasn't normal, and he opened the kitchen door and his mother was on her knees at the cooker and she was praying for the salvation of her son. And Duncan Campbell said, Mother, I'm troubled. And she says, just Duncan, go out into the barn. Tell God everything that you've been through. And he says, I just prayed and wept myself into the kingdom of God. Got off his knees, he was a new creature. Blazed a trail for God and saw a revival. Many, many years after that, two pilgrims in the faith mission, two young women were conducting a meeting in a nursing home in Scotland, singing and testifying and sharing the gospel. And whenever they had finished their meeting, they went around all of the residents of the home and spoke to them and took them by the hand and thanked them for allowing them to be there. And they saw a chair that had its back to the meeting and a little man sitting in the chair and he's just staring out towards the hills. And one of the pilgrims went up to him and put their hand on his shoulder and said, sir, would you like to... And he just held up his ha other hand and said, stop, speak to me no more about that matter. I made my final choice the night Duncan Campbell got saved. And from that night at the crossroads, he had led just a life living for self and living for the world. Never felt the promptings of the Spirit of God in the same way that he did that night. My spirit, 
shall not always strive with man. I believe in missions like this. God is speaking. I don't believe it's possible for us to sit and have the Bible opened and preach about Christ and the cross and for God not to speak. God's speaking perhaps to somebody. I'm sure he is in this mission, in this very meeting. Don't harden your heart. Respond to the call of God. You'll never regret it for a moment. May God bless you. Thank you so much for listening.